kid you not. Coffee, we, we probably went about nine games unbeaten after being probably we hadn't won in ten. So, I mean, how do you explain that? So, it's extremely tough to get that right all the time. Probably knowing the individual more and then you, you, you'd know what they'd respond better to. This is really good, sir. This is like, people yeah. don't get to, to see what it's like. Nobody gets this close to a professional football. You know, it's brilliant. Yeah. Playing Saturday, Tuesdays is extremely tough as well. It takes its toll on your body, especially when you're playing every single game. And as a pro, you know, you, you don't like missing games. And I always <laughs> used to, used to complain and then, um, reality hits you, you know, and and yeah. Now I, I just I just take everything in my stride, and I'm just I'm just grateful to be doing what I've always wanted to do. And even you know little things like having to diet, you can't eat certain things, you can't drink certain things, not being able to go out and, and sort of socialize with your friends when you want to, you know, just because you need that extra hour of sleep, you know, that extra one percent that will make a difference on the weekend or even just on a day to day. But ultimately, I think the advice that I've kind of picked up over my 20 years plus is you have to be yourself and and yeah. if that's not perceived to be good enough you're just in the wrong room it's not that it's not good yeah. enough you're just in the wrong room I was just extremely resilient and I I had the utmost belief in myself we hear this all the time don't we about downing tools or he's lost the dressing room she's lost the dressing room whatever it might be uh, is that a real thing is that or is that just a romantic notion that we you know, come up with and, and all of a sudden it becomes this big discourse. Is it, is it real? That was a big one, you know, self-belief because I started to invest in myself as well a lot. I'd take off here, I started reading a lot of books when I was about 24. I was never the biggest fan of reading, but you know, I started to invest in myself and, and my mindset especially um, to, you know, not get too high when things are going good and to not get too down when things are going bad what an unbelievably powerful statement and i think people need to hear this it is not a bad thing to believe in yourself in that way yeah it's about it's just that that belief aspect for me that's that's always been a big thing you know because i've been i've had moments in my career when when i couldn't really see the light you know i can only see the darkness and i i'd usually think to myself oh, i don't think i'm getting out of this and i always have that you know, because there's always been that resilience in me um, that I then had to learn how to sort of hone and harness that that power. And, and now I've brought it out, it's at the forefront of my mind and I know how to use it when I need it. Welcome to the ProPlayer.com podcast. Today's guest is a special one. Professional footballer for 11 years, started out his career at Cardiff City, came through the Youth Academy, graduated and got his first professional contract, moved on to clubs like Barnet, Bristol Rovers, Gillingham, Morecambe, spent over 10 years in the league. We're going to get some real insight from somebody who's not only been there and done it, but who cares about helping the next generation of young people coming through the system. Unbelievable insight, what it's like day to day to be a professional player, a former player of mine, and I am delighted to welcome David Tatonda to the ProPlayer.com podcast. Welcome, mate. Yeah. Oh, cheers, Goffey. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Pleased to be here. Pleased to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I think there's a lot of people listening today who will love to know, and we'll get into this, I hope, who would love to know what it is like to start out with this dream, sacrifice and dedicate and do everything you've done to get to the level you're at, and then, perhaps even more impressively, maintain a career over a decade in you know the football league, day in, day out, just improving your craft and being a professional footballer. And the insights that we're going to get today from all of that is just going to be priceless. So, Dave, I'm not sure where to start, but probably let's start at the beginning because where we met was yeah. obviously in your, in your youth academy days at Cardiff City. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got there and perhaps we can get into, into a conversation about um, what it's like as a young player coming through the system a little bit. I moved to Cardiff at 16. I think, um, and I signed a two-year scholarship at the time, and it was, it was a difficult time for me because I hadn't previously been at a professional club, um, and I was fortunate enough to be scouted at a time when people thought it was too late, and I had many friends at other professional clubs, such as Arsenal and the Chelsea's, the Tottenham's, and. And I was never signed at a club, so I never actually believed it it would be possible to then sign for a football club at that age. Um, luckily, obviously, a man that that uh, we both know well, Neil Ardley, um, came down to London to watch a showcase game that I was participating in. And um, and yeah, you know, there was, I remember at the time, there was um, conference clubs at that showcase game, League Two clubs at that showcase game, and they all said I was unfit. Uh, and uh, uh, Neil said, no, nah, you know, I like the look of him. I want to take a, a risk and a chance on him. So, yeah, he'll be one of my favourite uh, sort of football people. Perhaps a quick word for Neil. Obviously, the guy who gave me my start in professional football. Obviously, you've just expressed there a huge, huge part of your uh, opportunity as well. You need that, don't you? You need someone to believe in you that way. And, and my experience of working with Neil proper football man being a pro himself had a great career but again I just knew the game inside out but also had this unbelievable knack as a people person of making you believe that you could be all you wanted to be he did that for me as a coach he obviously did that for you as a player as well yeah yeah massively massively I mean Neil was one of those people I remember my first uh, sort of conversation I had with him and um and he pulled me after the showcase game and he told me that he wanted me to come down for for a week or so playing a game. And um, and I remember him just kind of saying to me, listen, it's an opportunity of a lifetime. Like, this is your dream, so I think you should pursue it. And um, uh, an old friend of mine, his dad used to look after me in terms of football. And um, he ended up having a conversation with my mum, which then led her to allow me to go up to Cardiff and to have the trial. And the rest is history here. Uh, what a what a great I mean what a great story like that sliding doors moments of just conversations that happen and opportunities I mean there's a lot of young female and male players out there that just dream of this this moment this opportunity someone saying yes have a chance you obviously grasp that chance with both hands and kind of been easy leaving London coming down to Wales we all know what it's like 8 a.m on a on a cold, rainy morning at Tree Forest Industrial Estate, where the academy was yeah. based, can't have been easy. Must have been a bit of a shock for you. Yeah, do you know what? It was um, at first. It was excitement. It was pure excitement. And and back home, my parents were pretty strict, so I was 
I was always open to the idea of moving away and and just having that freedom as a youngster. You know, you wanna you wanna kind of just branch out. But yeah, it was it was it was a lot of excitement in the first few months, and then once kind of the dust settled, it was it was difficult. That was my first time fully in a professional setup. So in terms of training and and drills, I found it extremely difficult at times. Even drills that people would think are easy. I wasn't the most technical player when I was younger. I was more sort of a, a raw player. I had speed, I had a bit of strength, but technical drills was something I'd never really done. So yeah, that was tough, but I think, you know, we had a good squad at the time, Goffey and 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 a lot of the lads were were nice. So in that sense, it was easy to settle in. And in terms of missing family, I never really got homesick. So that wasn't the biggest of issues for me. That sort of came later on in my career. Oh, I definitely want to get into that as well, because these are the kind of hidden things about the sacrifice and the dedication and being a professional that, you know, you're not going to learn until you kind of do it. So this insight is is fantastic for aspiring players and also for coaches to understand as well, Dave. I think, you know, looking back at that at those times, I think, Maybe you can maybe you can say more on this, but sometimes I feel like coaches will watch a session in isolation, and coaches in the youth game can perhaps look at you know a, a young player's performance. And often we we see a player mess up, the ball goes through under their foot or whatever it might be, and immediately we're on them in terms of like you're not concentrating or you you don't want to do this properly or your standards are low. You've just described the moment there where you're going through this huge change. You obviously want to do as best you can, but like you said, that wasn't your forte. And now here you are, 11 years later, you know, a professional footballer in your own right, and you've obviously come through that thing. So what advice would you give to coaches, perhaps working with younger players now who maybe are seeing that and jumping on that? And and obviously that's not going to stop you becoming a pro because you've done it. Yeah, I would I would probably say, Goffey, to, to just... Um, there's always something underneath the surface so um if a player's having a tough time especially at that age even older um as we've seen recently a lot of people struggling with depression etc but um at a young age you know it's it's i never had an ounce of professionalism in me when i went to cardiff you know i used to eat chocolate sweets i didn't drink as much water as i should have done or and and then you're moving to digs and and it's it's kind of it's rogue um and you don't really know how to live your life. Um, so I'd say, yeah, just for coaches to 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 take time and 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 to understand the player, especially at that age, you know, once you take time with them, they'll feel wanted, they'll feel loved. And I feel like that's something that you've done a lot. Um Goffey, even with extras, I remember all the time you were you were always open and your door was always open. Um, whether that be training or just to speak to. And I feel like you know a lot of players need that that sort of maybe even a sort of father figure in a sense because there's lads that have moved across the country or so. Obviously, some lads are are from there. That's fine, but yeah, just a mentor, even just someone there they can speak to and 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 confide in. We've talked to a couple of people in previous episodes about this idea of really taking care of the person and, and I'm glad where we are in 2023 because you know me and you're going back here to what 2013-14 time I'm not sure it was it was such a popular discourse back then as it is now and that's sad and I, I almost I said it on a previous episode I almost want to phone up like you lads from the youth team and I want to 
not apologize, but I, I know so much more now about youth development and, you know, emotional intelligence. And I don't know if, I appreciate your comments there, mate. That's really nice. And I thank you for that. I, I never take that lightly. But coming through a system like that, did did it do enough to, obviously you got the pro contract, but did it do what you needed it to do to prepare you for the professional game? Or, or was it kind of like, separate this is something i have to do i've got my contract now i'll go and do something else as an apprenticeship was it fit for purpose during those times in early 2013-14 um i think i can only speak for myself on this one and um i'd probably say for me yes but i always had an understanding that in life it was dog eat dog um and that came from my upbringing. Obviously, I wasn't born. I was born in Africa. And, and you know, my family had to move over for a better life, etc. So I always had had that embedded in my mind. Um, so I do think there was enough done. Could more be done? Yes, possibly. Um, but I always felt comfortable at that club. Um, I felt like I was learning. And I felt like I was growing. and developing as a human and as a player so i'd say yeah would my thinking back as soon as you walked through the door dave i remember you had this aura about you you were you know you're a little bit more what's the word probably accelerated physically you were a little bit more mature you'd obviously been through some tough adversity like you you'd moved for me you always had this kind of he can do this and he just needs a bit of a push and a guide. And that's certainly how I approached it. And I know we had some fantastic coaches there at that time. Were you aware that maybe you had a little bit of what it takes? And without trying to compare, is that something you kind of knew? And when did you really get your head around the fact that this could actually be, like, I'm I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm actually going to become a professional here. You're obviously always waiting for someone to offer you the contract. But maybe beforehand, you had an inkling that, yeah, I'm, I'm on top of this. Yeah. Uh, do you know what, Goffy? I always thought, I always thought I could be a professional until I signed for Cardiff. And the first year, if you remember, was a difficult year for myself. I didn't really play, and and I found training a bit difficult, etc. Um, youth Cup, I wasn't involved in the squads. Uh, mm. Me and Tom James, actually, yeah, um, yeah. And and it was, it was sort of in that first year. I thought to myself, oh, I don't know if this is for me. In terms of, I didn't, that's probably the only, I'm, I'm naturally a confident person. I think that's the only time, one of the only times in my life that I felt like I don't think I'm good enough. Um, and, and then where that changed, second year scholar, obviously I was playing more. I was improving. Uh, Kev Nicholson came in at the time, Dick Bate came in. Um, and, and yeah, that was where I sort of, had that confidence shot of, yeah, yeah, do you know what? I can do this. But I remember um, going to the Vale once and watching the first team train. And I, and, I, and I watched the tempo and I thought to myself again, okay, maybe I can't do this. So, yeah, there's been a few moments when, yeah, there was a bit of sort of, oh, you know, if I get in there right now, I don't think I'll be able to handle it. But then at that age, you're still sort of getting used to things. But, yeah. Of course. Perhaps a, a quick word there. I mean, Kev, 
has gone on and had a fantastic career. I know he's working with um, a consultancy role with many federations. And I, you know, I, I go and seek out Kev Nicholson on social media for sure because he's got great insight and produces great stuff out there. And also Dick Bate. I mean, I don't think any of us really fully understood how lucky we were to have a guy like Dick Bate come in as academy manager. Um, and certainly we were aware of his reputation, but getting to spend, like you said, a year, 18 months with Dick Bate and every day being able to talk to him and just ask questions and the way he taught, he was a wonderful orator. He was superb in terms of mm. holding your attention and he had his detail was unbelievable. He was unlike anybody I'd ever met. Perhaps a word for, for Dick Bate, who has now left us and is still very much in our thoughts every every day, I'm sure. Yeah, God rest his soul, Dick Bate. He was fantastic. I I remember one of my at that age, obviously Dick was 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 more old school and before my time. So as a youth team player, then he didn't realize the sort of gravitas he carries and 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 his his still in the game. Um, but I remember the first team had a game against Man United, and I saw him speaking to Wayne Rooney, and then that was the moment in my head. I thought, <laughs> I thought, wow, okay, you know. Um, and then I then always sort of uh, made it a habit to ask him questions and to pick his brain and 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 just to gain more knowledge. Um, and I have a specific memory from him. We played Ipswich away. Uh, and we had a free kick in the last minute of the game. And I was standing sort of outside of the box. And it was our attack and free kick. And he's, and he's called me from the touchline. And he's told me to, to take two steps forward, two steps right. And he told me that the ball was going to fall there. And we took the free kick. The keeper saved it. And it's fallen straight to my feet. I'll put it wide, but... Yeah, from that moment, I thought, oh, wow, okay, this man's a genius. Um, but yeah, he's, he was an absolutely fantastic human being. Fantastic. He just, he just knew things that it felt like others didn't. He was, a, he was 10 steps ahead of the curve. And yeah. A really special, wonderful man who I know now, later on in my career, has helped so many people. And you know, I want to take this opportunity to dedicate this entire project to Dick Bate because if it hadn't been for him, those conversations that that time spent with him, I, I wouldn't be doing anything like I'm doing now with this stuff. So you have found your feet a little. You're into your second year of your apprenticeship and the 21s and the pro team and the first team are on the horizon. At this point, you're leading up to the point where you get offered a professional contract. Can you remember back to maybe the days and weeks before that ultimate meeting and, and perhaps tell us a little bit about the meeting because there's going to be thousands of people in the next couple of years will listen to this at some point yeah. and, and are hoping and dreaming of having that week in their life leading up, having a meeting, being offered a contract and being becoming a professional. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like sometimes in in life in general, you, you need a bit of luck and fortune. Um, and I remember in the, in the second year, Goffey, um, you, you may recall as well, um, I was playing at the start of it and then I lost my space in the team. And, and, um, and when I lost my 
basically we had a game against Huddersfield away, right? And this was probably one of, it's a memory I'd never forget, but it was the kick in the backside I needed to, to take my life seriously. And we played Huddersfield and I didn't have particularly a good game at the time. And I remember you saying to me after the game, I wouldn't pay you £10 to play in the Welsh League. That sat with me. And because it came from you, someone who, who'd always supported me, who'd always helped me when I've needed help, I never took it in a bad way at all. I remember going home and, and, and I sat down, I looked myself in the mirror and I said, wow, okay, you know, I have to take this seriously because in a, in a few months, and you had this great uh, saying as well, which was, um, you'll go to sleep a Cardiff player and you'll wake up and you're not a Cardiff player. And, and that always stayed with me. And um, after that, I remember um, we had a game against Swansea. I wasn't starting. One of the lads came late. I started, I ended up scoring in that game. And then I kept my spot in the team. Yeah. And then um, we had the little youth cup run, played really well in that, uh, yeah. played well against Chelsea. We lost 2-0. Yeah. And then sort of after that, I had, a, I had a good feeling. I thought, okay, you know what? I could potentially get a pro here. Um, and it was it was nerve wracking, sort of leading into that into that week into that uh, decision time. Most of the squad were in the same position of of you know the unknown. But yeah, I remember we were waiting in the changing room at the stadium and and just waiting to be called in one by one, one by one. And and I remember walking in there and and I've I've never felt so nervous in my life. I think probably other than the time I was offered the scholarship, but I'd never been so nervous in my entire life and I was shaking like a leaf and and um I remember Dick Dick spoke for the majority of the meeting and he said um yeah we're gonna offer you a pro and and everything after that I didn't hear a word of it my mind went blank it was pure elation um so yeah 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 those are good memories but then leaving that room and uh two of my friends at the time still now obviously they didn't get pros Mm. And then it was that sort of contrast and emotion. It it wasn't nice because you don't know whether to be happy or or sad for them. But but yeah, it was this sort of those are the experiences that that stick with you, you know. And and that feeling of happiness will will never leave. A couple of things to pick up on there because it's great insight again. And I think I do think we got a lot of things right at that time. Um, I do think we knew when to push. I do think we knew when to support. I do think we had an understanding of not just the player, not just the the game and the X's and the O's, but also the people involved. But I don't think we did. And I look back sometimes and, and critique it, and I don't think we did the best. I don't think anybody in professional football understood at that time, particularly yeah. the discourse around that day. I remember lining up in the, in the tunnel, you know, waiting for the meeting, just kind of helping the lads. This is where you're going. This is what you're doing. And they come out with a meeting. There was no support. There was no um, meeting. There was no space for you to go and even be alone. It was straight back out into the meeting, into the into the line with all the other players. And you've either had this amazing news or more often than not had this terrible news. And what are you supposed to do? And I remember thinking, some of these lads now are going to walk out this door in their Cardiff City tracksuit. And then at some, day, they, at some point, they're going to be asked to give it back or they're going to have to take it off. And it'll be the last time they put it on. And I, I just, that changed my entire focus for working with young people and i'm glad now in 2023 we have player care officers we have 
welfare officers. We have a better understanding of those moments because I don't know that we did enough back then. And I will always, yeah. always say this, that it is so important people in that uh, industry understand uh, what you've just said there because you've walked it with good news, but then you saw your teammates. Yeah. And that's huge. Yeah. That's a major, major point. Moving forward, you've now been given the professional contract. What happens next? You go back to training, I suppose. There's not much left in that part of the season, is there? It's kind of done, but it's not. Yeah. And, you know, at some point you've got to report with the, the 21s or whatever it is. What, talk us through once you've been given that contract for aspiring players who are listening. What's the next couple of months look like for you until you get into the next season? Yeah. Um, yeah, so after that, it's it's more uh, summer holidays time. I think we we had a tour in the back end of that season. We went to Portugal and then you come back after that and then it was sort of holiday time. I, I remember that holiday, I didn't go anywhere. I just wanted to work, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be ready. Uh, because at that time, the Cardiff under 21s were pretty strong and I, I always had Kane Owen and Declan John ahead of me who I rated extremely highly. So I knew I, I couldn't slack. Uh, so I was constantly working through the summer just to prepare myself. I mean, it's, it's sort of different for different people. Some people need their, their rest at the end of the season. Others work harder than they do in season. Um, and for me, that summer, I needed to work hard. And I came back in good shape um, into the 23s. New training ground, now you're at the Vale with the big boys in the first team. So that was a good experience. Um, uh, better food, uh, better pitches. You know, that was, yeah, yeah, that was, that was fantastic. But it was, um, wasn't too much of a change in, in, in terms of teammates because the, the year above myself, a lot of them got professional contracts and then our age group also did. So it was a lot of the same boys, which is quite nice and it's quite sort of comforting. There wasn't a big change. But yeah, that, that first year was, I didn't play as much again. Um, and then I ended up getting a, a loan to New Fort County, which I've done extremely well in. So again, a bit of fortune, um, you know, a, a bit of luck when I needed it because I was, I was coming on and playing left midfield at times. And, and at that point I transitioned to a left back. But I remember I think Kane Owen was injured and then I went in there, played a game, and then Newport County needed a left back at the time in League Two, and then I, I went in there, played extremely well, played a game, played about fourteen games, in the league, and then that put me in good stead for my second year pro, which was, right. which was a lot more enjoyable. So, let let me take this one step at a time because there's going to be people out there, and I said when I started this, I was going to ask the questions that I think people yeah. want to hear. When you walk into that dressing room the first team dressing room and it's full of major players and superstars, you know, people who played in the Premier League, played international football. And you, you might or might not remember the first time you walked in, but the first couple of times you walked in there, like, do you even know where to sit? Like, do you start talking? Do you say nothing? Cause you don't want to come across as a too, too, you know, as a tourist either. How do you get that balance right for people listening? Like, what's that like? Um, at the time, I was, I didn't really say much. I was more um, speak when you're spoken to. Um, because a lot of these players, when we were in the youth team, we'd have to clean our boots. So you'd see them at times, but you wouldn't interact with them. 
um, so yeah, I remember walking into the lunch hall and you see a lot of the first team lads. At the time, they were all really nice, actually. Uh, but then you don't really know whether to say hi or whether to go around and shake everyone's hand. You're just sort of, I'll wait for you guys to move and then I'll move. And, and yeah, so that was that was all sort of, uh, it was a bit intimidating, actually. Yeah. But um, but but yeah, I mean, like I said, everyone was was nice. The changing rooms were were split. They were next to each other. So you'd see the first team players all the time, but the 23s were in the other change room. Mm. Um, so that was okay. You know, you had your own sort of allocated space and that was fine. Yeah, you knew where to sort of sit there. What What would you say to, you know, next, next week, someone's listening to this and then next week they're going into, you know, their first female professional environment or male professional environment. They're about to do what you did. What would you look back and say to your younger self or say to them now, would you have done anything different or is it just one of those things? Um, it's just sort of one of those things you have to experience, I'd say, um, and, and, and just sort of be yourself, you know, especially the, the first time you, you train with them, express yourself, you know, I was, I was a bit more, um, quiet and timid and hiding in a sense, you know, cause I didn't really want to be seen as much as I didn't want to make mistakes or I didn't want the first thing to shout at me, et cetera. So I, I hid a bit. And then once I had a few more sessions, that's when the confidence sort of came out of me and I was expressing myself more uh, because I was a player that liked to run with the ball and mm. sort of travel with it and do skills. And then, but then you, you don't part, you it doesn't really want to take on a first team player just in case you get around them. And then, you know, so yeah, I just say, I just say express yourself, be yourself. And especially when you're having a trainer session, just, you know, train how you play and uh, yeah. And just express yourself. Express yourself. It's great advice. You mentioned, you mentioned, Dave, enjoying your second year as a professional, perhaps more than the first. And I think everyone can kind of understand why, because you, you know, you experience, you get used to it. When did you feel, obviously you're a professional footballer when you sign your contract, but when did you feel, right, I'm here, I'm a professional footballer. When did that moment come for you? Ooh. I'd say third year pro, third year pro. I, I felt in my second year pro, I got sent out immediately on loan to to uh, York City. And coming back to preseason that year, I, I felt as though I'd um, done enough to to be with the first team. Um, so there was a lot of disappointment there. I had a few training sessions, uh, but I went on tour with the under twenty uh, ones again. Um, and then after that, we, we came back to Wales and then I had a couple training sessions with the first team. And then I came in one day and the manager at the time told me that, um, you're off to York city. So I didn't really have a choice in it. Um, I would have rather preferred, uh, Newport County, uh, at the time, I think Terry Butcher was in charge. So I was, I was pretty keen on working with him. So that was, that was pretty disappointing but um Russell Slade another manager I'm pretty fond of I think he wanted me to to try something different and to get out of my comfort zone again and and to travel up to York up uh Yorkshire and just sort of yeah show him what I could do there and 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 Dave like for those players that might be about to go on loan or maybe they think going on loan will be a part of their career development do you get sent with a set of instructions? Do you just get told you're going to York City, leave tomorrow? Like, do you get 
I know we have player loan managers and at the top clubs now, there's a lot of people looking after those people, but like, how do you know what success will be? Are you left to judge it yourself? You just score goals and that's fine. And you come back. How does it work? At the time we had a, like a loan officer uh, who would kind of check up on the games at the time when I was at, at Newport, it was a lot easier because that's down the M4. So going up to York, I don't think anyone was at my games frequently enough, but I felt as though it was judged on how well the team was doing rather than myself or, or whether I, I was in the team every week, you know, because then you must be doing something right. But yeah, right at Newport, I felt as I was getting feedback. And at that age and as a fullback, I was, I was, I was scoring goals. I think I scored two goals for Newport and I got three assists in about 13 games. So I knew that was a decent enough return in the league. And there I learned so much again, because I, I left in just before January, I left in December and they ended up getting relegated that season. So that, that wasn't as comfortable as Newport. I lost my, my spot after about 10 games and I couldn't really get it back. And there was a lot of ups and downs there, but, but that was a great loan to have experienced for sure. And yeah. And most of the time, your agents would normally sort out loans and then they would contact the club and then the club would let you know. But York was the only time I think York directly contacted Cardiff and then uh, they just said, off you go. So, yeah. This is fantastic because no one really knows, I don't suppose, what it's like unless they've walked the path you've walked. You mentioned agents there. We On a previous episode, we had Ellis Bellamy on. Um, oh, who was oh. a Cardiff, you remember Ellis? And, and he's an agent yeah. now. Where he blew me away was I wasn't aware that agents were so involved in the development of players and helping players like go through video and this kind of stuff. And obviously there's the, the business side as well, but there's this there's this real care now around players in terms of walking a line, helping them develop. Obviously they have a vested interest in protecting you as a player, but it was really eye-opening to see the support that, that you get now from, from agents. Yeah, I, I... I think the the role of an agent has transformed in recent years, especially. I think uh, beforehand they 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 weren't as hands on as they are now, maybe. But you know, nowadays a lot of people's agents are their best friends or their financial advisor or their analyst, and and I feel like that's a good thing. If you have that sort of relationship with your agent, it could it could only benefit you, you know, rather than. A lot of agents back in the days, even ones that I had in the past, they they weren't around, you know, when I needed them. But then when I signed a professional contract, they pop up with a text message. Mm. And then you're, I was sort of walking blind for for a couple of years because I had no one really to, to speak to because my dad wasn't, he's a football fan, but he doesn't know the ins and outs of football. Yeah, of course. My mom doesn't, so... So I only had my agent at the time and, and I felt as, as though I was abandoned until the the professional contract came along. But then after that, you know, um, I got myself with a good agent, Mel Steen, God rest his soul. And, and he was like a mentor. He would help me with anything I needed to do outside of football, inside of football, just to chat, just to, he'd meet me for food, for a coffee. And, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's what players need sometimes, just knowing that they have someone there that's in their corner you know mm. but but won't feed them uh only positives you know they'll yeah. they'll give them the truth because i feel like as a as a player you have to take praise and criticism in equal measure you know otherwise you'll probably only go one way 
Nellis said the same thing. He was brilliant in terms of, he talked about the honesty that you need. It's not all about like telling you you're great. Sometimes it's about telling you, and you mentioned earlier on, you know, when, when I'd spoken to you one time about the Welsh League thing, like sometimes you have to tell people because yeah. it, you know, there's no doubt you had the talent and the ability and the potential. And, and sometimes it's hard to tell someone difficult things, but if you don't take that opportunity, like you said, it might not have kicked you on and spurred you on in the way that it did. Could you, could you talk a little bit maybe about how coaches can approach that moment? Because I think we get it wrong sometimes in the profession. We, we call it tough love, don't we? We call it like, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. just, you know, we see the movies, we see the Hollywood, we see Denzel <laughs> Washington and, and, you know, all the superstars. They say this really tough thing and then all of a sudden the main character gets stronger and then they win. Right? That's Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah. But, yeah. but what you're talking about here is there's a real moment in your career and, and Ellis was saying the same. You've got to have this honesty with players. You've got to tell them. Like, and sometimes that can come across harsh to people who are not in the industry. Where's the line? Where's the balance between getting that right, you know, like you've experienced, and then perhaps some coaches will get it wrong? Where's that line? Yeah. I, I kind of feel like it, it, it ties in with, with the coach knowing the player, you know, and, and I understand for a coach you have 30-odd players, you can't know everyone on the same level, you know, because some people don't let you in but others do and I feel like people respond differently to certain things and for me that was what I needed coffee because if you came over to me and patted me on my back and he said next time son I would have probably been released and and that's it it's as simple as that but for some players you know they they don't like being shouted at they need a bit more more care when approaching them um so I feel like it's 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 extremely it's extremely tough to get that right all the time. What I would say is is probably knowing the individual more and then you you'd you'd know what they respond back to. Let's go towards you're you're kind of in your third year of your career now and you're feeling like a pro. You got that moment and now maybe is it too early to say now that young people are coming into the dressing room and you're on the other side of it? Or you <laughs> is that kind of where you were at that time? And I'll ask you some questions around that. Or does it take a little longer? Yeah. Uh, do you know what? It's, it's feeling like that now. So it feels like the tables have turned pretty quickly over about two months. But, but yeah, it's a, it's a role that I'm enjoying and I'm, and I'm thriving and, you know, helping the younger lads, you know, passing on knowledge passing on experiences you know just trying to help them out as as best as I can because we have we have so many talented players at this club that I feel like can go the whole way let's get into the the life of a professional footballer you know for those aspiring to be in your position for those in youth academies right now you know we've talked about you know maybe the experience of actually graduating from youth academy becoming a pro what is life like day to day for a player in the football league, you're playing Tuesdays, Saturdays, you're traveling all around the country. Give us a Monday to Friday. What? So start with the start of the week. Tell people what it's really like. Yeah. Um, oh, what I would say, it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's normally my, my schedule now would be uh, Monday, Monday in, let's say, nine nine o'clock um tuesday and same time off on wednesdays 
in Thursday, Friday's game on Saturday, and, and it would normally be 9 a.m. till 11, prehab and meetings, etc. And then you'd have training. Here we have training for about an hour and a half, two hours, really intense, really intense training. Lunch at 12.30, gym after that. Sometimes you have a double pitch session, depending on whether you have a Tuesday night game or not. Um, and that schedule sort of follows on day on day. Playing Saturday, Tuesdays is extremely tough as well. It takes its toll on your body, especially when you're playing every single game. And, and as a pro, you know, you, you don't like missing games. So when you have that schedule of, of in one month, you have three Tuesday games. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's extremely tough, but you know, when, when it's, it's, it's what you signed up for. So when you sit back and you, and you think, would I, would I want to be doing something else? If, if the answer is no, then you take every day in your stride. And, 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 you know, I'm always, I'm always grateful for us. I, I probably stopped moaning a couple of years ago now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I used to, I used to wake up on those Monday mornings, 8am at, uh, Treforest and think, oh, it's raining. This is going to be a tough one. It's cold. I've got to clean the balls. And I always used to, used to complain. And then, um, the reality hits you, you know, and and yeah. Now I I just I just take everything in my stride, and I'm just I'm just grateful to be doing what I've always wanted to do. It's fantastic advice again, Dave. There's lots of people out there who will dream of being a player, uh, dream of being a professional coach, and you know sometimes it's really tough. You've got to ask yourself, is would I rather be doing something else? And especially when it goes against you, especially when you you know, get a setback in life, you get fired or, or, you know, you don't get promoted or whatever might happen. These things happen in football. And you, you know, you, you speaking towards learning that resoluteness and that grit early on in your career, cleaning the balls, making cups of tea. I remember, man, like I was, do, I was doing the job list, putting you down on this. Yeah. He's not going to like that, but he's got to do it. <laughs> I remember doing it and, yeah, you know, and those, those tasks, and I'm glad, you know, I'm glad we can do a bit of that because those tasks mean something and they get you prepared. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, you've got to get up and do it every single day. And that's why I think you guys deserve so much respect and so much admiration because you can't make choices that the average man or woman in the street can make. Yeah. You can't live your life for whatever you feel like doing that day. That is what being a professional is. And yeah. you learn that and you live by that and you sacrifice so much to be in the position you're in. And I think sometimes people forget, you know, once you make it as a professional player, oh, you're so lucky, you get paid, you play football, people sing your name, but perhaps they don't see the other side, Dave, of what you actually have yeah. to do day to day to do that. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, there's a lot of sacrifice, I'd say, in, in, in terms of, you know, I've, I've trained on many Christmas days in the 10 years that I've been a professional footballer, probably about, five, four, five. Um, so I happened to miss Christmas with my family back in London because I've been elsewhere. And, and, you know, that's extremely, extremely tough at times. And even, you know, little things like having to diet, you can't eat certain things, you can't drink certain things, not being able to go out and, and sort of socialise with your friends when you want to, you know, just because you need that extra hour of sleep, you know, that extra 1% that will make a difference on the weekend or even just on a day-to-day, -day, you know, training for making sure you're at it, um, you know, having to recover, doing ice baths. It's um, it's a normality for me now, but, but you know, there are times when you feel as though, 
you know what I mean I really want to enjoy this curry but then you realize it's probably not the right thing for you um you know and like you want to go out with your mates for a little drink or whatever and, and it's just like now nah, you know I've just had a game and my muscles need to recover um so yeah I mean there's a lot of sacrifice New Year's you play games on New Year's Day on on Easter on Christmas you know so it's it's I mean it's tough but but you know at at the end of the day if it's if it's what you want to do then you'll make those sacrifices and then you know hopefully they can pay off they are paying off for you in a, in in a big way to to spend 10 11 years in the football league is a dream that millions millions of boys out there will want um and are aspiring to and again uh, if i haven't said it before mate it's it's so it's such a great achievement to continue doing what you love um can we can we get on to coaches and coaching a little bit maybe because you you've had yeah. a lot of experiences now different managers you, obviously i don't ask you to name any names but there's a lot of people listening to this i'm sure who either in the game now or in youth development setups or in college soccer in the US or whatever it might be. And they want to, you know, they, they're looking at their own profession, their own practice, and they want to be better and they want to be the best they can be. From a player's point of view, an elite player's point of view, what do coaches get right? And and really interestingly, what do they get wrong? Oh, that's a good question, Goffey. Um, <clears throat> I'd say I'll... I'll use an example of one of uh, my favorite coaches, Ben Garner, is currently now manager at Colchester, and and he was a he was a real people's person. You know, the first day I walked through the door and he signed me. You know, he was asking me about my background and my family, and you know, just the things I enjoy kind of doing in my spare time and and things aside from football. You know, building a bond and a relationship um, that's not only about football, and then that sort of brought us closer on the pitch and then um on the football side of things he was he was really attention to detail um you know he'd 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 show his anger and he'd show his frustration but because he had a bond with all these players it was it wasn't taken in the wrong way it wasn't taken in the wrong uh, light and he was a football addict um and you know we could see it at at times as as players it depends um um how you want to learn and um he he'd have two hour videos and you know a lot of us players hated it but but you know it was one of those things that that we were able to learn from and it and it helped us on the pitch and it helped us improve and it helped us develop what coaches could do so what they do wrong it depends you know i've had managers that aren't so attention to detail um that that don't speak to you and and you know they don't have that relationship with their players it's more it's they they rule with an iron fist in a way um and it's their way or the highway you know they don't want to hear your opinion on things and um i'd say i say that that's a big one for for players i'm not a fan of of the sort of players lead in a session or but but I like when managers want to hear feedback from their players in a sense, or you know, whether we're having an analysis over a game and and I've made a mistake, I'd I'd like my my coach or my manager to ask me, oh, where do you think you could have improved there? Whereas I've had 
managers that will sort of just berate you on the spot and and that's it. You 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 can't have a conversation with them and you can't go back at it with them. Um, so yeah, I'd say I'd say that's a big one. Just sort of letting giving your players a little bit of an opinion just to see where where they're at. So then you, I feel like you'd be able to gauge them better and and be able to help them better and communicate with them better in that way as well. There is a school of thought we've talked about before on on the podcast about maybe some coaches and managers who perhaps don't want to get into that conversation with players because maybe they have their own insecurities or vulnerabilities and, you know, God forbid, they would be shown in a public light to perhaps have a weakness or not there. And we were talking to, to Rob Sherman on one of the first episodes about how sometimes showing that vulnerability can actually give you more in connection with the players. There's obviously a fine line. You don't want to be seen as someone who doesn't know what they're doing or doesn't have the answer. I understand that as well. There's obviously a time and a place, but it does feel like the discourse is changing in the profession to, you know, you can't really do it without the players buying anymore. One of the most powerful things I kind of read and learned about when I was coming up was this idea of the power is with the player and the player gives you as a coach perceived power over them. It's not really a power. No one can make you do anything, but it's this perceived power of, well, I can control who plays in the team and I have this say-so over your life. And and yeah. that's the extreme level where, where people yeah. maybe do things out of fear and perhaps yeah. fear of reprisal, right? The power, I think, is in having that perceived power and really protecting that because a player is very vulnerable giving you that. Yeah. The best coaches I've seen are the ones who understand that concept and use that in the right way, not yeah. leverage it against players, but understand the responsibility and bring the player into that mix. Would you say that you've had some coaches like that in your professional career? Maybe the, the gentleman you were mentioning at the start, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, there's a I've about two, three managers that, you know, and I would have given absolutely everything for them. I and mean, Dave, sorry, let me jump in real quick. Let me jump in real quick. Did that actually translate into better performances or are you going for more 50-50s yeah. or actually yeah. winning ahead of you wouldn't have before? Because this is what people want to know. Did it actually change the, the game you played, the result? The you know, Can you talk to us about that maybe? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think every game I I play, I I look to be at 100% and I look to play at 100% and I look to win. Um, but, you know, we're all humans and, and some things will, will get that extra 10% out of you. You know, whether you're at 100%, then that will get you to 110%. And I feel like some managers have, have, have given me so much and helped me so much. I've, I've then had to sort of look within and find something a little bit more just to go that 110%. But yeah, you know, that's, that's translated to uh, more jewels won and, and, and just sort of, you just, especially when the managers, for example, um, been under pressure. And it's like, okay, listen, I don't want you to go. Us as players haven't been great as a collective. And then, you know, all of a sudden you pull your socks up. I remember I was at Barnet and we had a similar um, time when that's taken place and our manager was under threat. And we had a good young team at the time. And I kid you not, Coffee, we, we probably went about nine games unbeaten after being probably we hadn't won in 10. So, I mean, how do you explain that? So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's 100% managers that 
that that do rule with an iron fist because they know that they they have the power of you and and if they have a good team and they don't need to play you, I feel like that's when the there's um there's a bit of confusion between who has the power. If if the case is that professional players like you are got their finger on the pulse, realize a manager's under pressure, want them to stay, gonna give extra, and you go on this nine game unbeaten run. Why doesn't everybody do this? Why isn't every manager out there in the men's and women's game treating the players with this level of respect and this level of understanding, still being a boss, still being a leader, still being a gaffer? We understand that. Of course we understand that. It's 2023. You know, we're not saying that we shouldn't have that involved. But why isn't everybody acting in that way if that's the case then? That's a good question. That's a very good question, Goffey. Um, and that's one that I don't have the answer to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say, um, I just think that just comes down to the individual. Yeah. You know, the the person, you know, I've had some managers that don't talk a lot. So mm. it, it would be harder for them to then sort of articulate their feelings mm. and the way they feel. And I've had other managers that are super passionate you know, and, and it's easy for them to articulate how they feel. Uh, so, yeah, I, I feel like it's a, it's something that would help a lot of managers, but then at the same time, everyone has has their way, and if your way works, then I guess that's the most important thing. You do have to be authentically yourself, for sure. Um, and I think there's a lot of this in football. People perhaps perceive they have to be a certain way, they have to be a you know, a, a great speech giver or they have to be a tactical genius or they have to be both or they have to yeah. be, you know, rule with an iron I fist, agree. whatever. But but ultimately, I think the advice that I've kind of picked up over my 20 years plus is you have to be yourself. And and yeah. if that's not perceived to be good enough, you're just in the wrong room. It's not that it's not good yeah. enough. You're just in the wrong room. Fascinating insight. Absolutely fascinating insight. I, I want to pick up one more point on that, perhaps the dressing room bit and then and then move on. But... The, the players inside the dressing room, you know, you, you might be winning, you might be losing. Let's, let's talk about maybe a tough time where you're not getting the results you want. And <clears> perhaps <throat> the, the coaches and the managers are doing their work. And is there a point where the players collectively kind of say, okay, I've had enough. I'm not dealing with this anymore. Or we hear this all the time, don't we, about downing tools or he's lost the dressing room, she's lost the dressing room, whatever it might be. Uh, is that a real thing? Is that, or is that just a romantic notion that we, you know, come up with and, and all of a sudden it becomes this big discourse. Is it, is it real? Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I'd probably say it's more of a romantic notion. Uh, just because football is a team sport, but it's also an individual sport mm. at the same time. So if you down tools, you won't play. Um, mm. I do feel like it happens from time to time, but I've never been involved in a change room when it's happened but I've been blessed enough to be in good change rooms with good people mm. and honest hard-working people yeah. um so I've 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 never seen that happen uh, but I've heard of it happening that's for sure I've been relegated twice actually now Ooh, maybe three times I think and so I've I've been in seasons when when everything's going against you we feel like that anyway um and and you look around the change room, everyone's heads down, and it's extremely difficult just to pick yourselves up. Uh, but it's never been a case of downing tools. There, 
there has been um belief lost mm. um maybe the players don't believe in the manager's tactics or mm. or they feel as though the manager's doing the wrong things but it's never really been down into all this it's just things aren't working we're losing games and losing becomes a habit just mm. as much as winning so yeah that's there's a, the cases there's, for me. there's a lot of people listening there who will who will be interested in in the times where you you know you had tough seasons you say you were relegated can you remember doing those kind of seasons towards the end of those seasons were there were there things that coaches did that helped or things that they did that didn't help and kind of confirmed the the downward spiral what, what advice would you give to having been in those situations what advice would you give to aspiring managers who may be stepping into a, a club that could get relegated or or players that are in the dressing room, what would you say to them? Yeah, that's a good question, Goffy. Um, one of the change rooms I was in, uh, the the manager was 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 sort of passing blame a lot. And that was one thing that didn't help at all because at the time, a lot of the players felt it was his fault. And then he was sort of passing blame. And then we ended up getting relegated with about six games to go. Um on a separate occasion, the manager was more chilled. You know, he he realised we're, we're all in this together. He never threw anyone under the bus. Uh, he was more or less a human shield. I, I wouldn't advise that for all managers because at the end of the day, you know, you you do have to look after yourself as well. Um, but but he, he was more, you know, we're a team, we win together, we lose together he we had a more calm environment um he tried to make training as enjoyable as possible um because you know we'd walk in every day and he could see everyone with their faces upside down and no one was happy the place was quiet but he he'd always try and g up the environment and you know it, it took us to the last day and we went down still but we went down with a fight at least whereas you know the other time we went down with about five weeks to go in the season. And then after that, that's when everyone actually uh, did down tools because there was nothing to play for anymore, yeah. Of course, of course. Once you're relegated, you're relegated. There's going to be fans out there loving that because, you know, they want their team to fight till the end. They want to be in it till the end. And if, if the manager's choice of, you know, strategy and, and the way he deals with things or she deals with things is is giving you that opportunity, then that's success, isn't it? Even if you do get relegated at the end of the season, that can happen. But to go down with five games to go and really everyone knew it was coming. No fan wants to see that, I'm sure. No. Great insight again. Fantastic. There's tough times, aren't there? There's tough times yeah. as a professional player. It's not all glitz and glamour. You know, it's not... The Football League is a, is a tough league to play in, to be in and to stay in. It isn't maybe... Uh, you know, the other end of the spectrum, the Champions League stuff and the, and the Premier League. And, and perhaps you could talk a little bit about, you know, what makes a successful football league player and what's re what couple of things have really helped you to, to continue to develop your career. Because when you're getting relegated or when you're having a tough time moving clubs, whatever it might be, it's going to be tough. Like there's a lot of people listening today who are going through similar tough times and they're, and they're yeah. They've had doors closed in their face or they've been sacked or or they just had a knockback or a setback or it didn't go the way they wanted to. What inside of you helped you to continue on and keep going and how did you do it? I was just extremely resilient. 
and I I had the utmost belief in myself. I think that was a, a that was a big one, you know, self belief because I started to invest in myself as well a lot. I'd take off your arm. I started reading a lot of books when I was about 24. I was never the biggest fan of reading, but you know, I started to invest in myself and and my mindset, especially. Um, to you know, not get too high when things are going good and to not get too down when things are going bad. And and I sort of developed this 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 mental which was a fortress. So I'd have bad games, everybody does, but I wouldn't let it phase me. I'd 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 be sort of rearing to go again on on the Tuesday, whereas before I'd have a bad game on a Saturday and then I wouldn't really want to go in on the Monday because you're watching video and and you know you just want to hide kind of hide behind people. Um but but in recent years it's it's just been resilience and confidence and, and just having that belief in yourself and knowing that you can overcome everything. And and that's the sort of mindset I have now. Uh Goffy that I'm the best. Whenever I step on the field, whether it's against Premier League opposition, and it's all well and good saying it, but actually believing it is a different matter. And I've always believed that I'm a player that 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 should play at a certain level. So yeah, I've always had that belief in me. What an unbelievably powerful statement. And I think people need to hear this. It is not a bad thing to believe in yourself in that way, especially if you haven't got the job title you want or the position you want or you're not quite where you want to be in your career, you still can have this resolution and this grit that I think it's a Drake song. I'm going to sound really old here, but there's a Drake <laughs> song, Zero to 100. And I think one of the lyrics in yeah, the song yeah. is, um, they didn't make me what I am. They just found me like this. And I think that's always resonated with me in terms of, yeah. you know, you've got to be ready and you've got to believe that before anyone else yeah. does. And then the opportunity oh, yeah. comes along, you know. I thought that was genius. Oh, yeah, I agree. That's going to help a lot of people. And that's why we did this. And, uh, and that's fantastic. I want to kind of get into, you know, the future and where you go from here. You're kind of coming up to the, the prime of, of your career, 27, 28 years old. Yeah. You, you're not a young player anymore, but you're certainly not, uh, you know, post 30 now. You are right but, in the yeah. middle of it. What yeah. what ambitions do you set for yourself? How do you go about, you know, map, do you map out the re remainder of your career from here? Is it about continuing in a process? You know, I, I've, I've seen you speak before about things you might want to do after football and you've obviously got a lot of interest in things that you're going to be great at yeah. when you do finally stop playing. But just for the playing piece, as you get into that real nitty-gritty of your career, late 20s, what yeah. happens next? Um, well, I've set, I've set some goals out. That's for sure. I've set out some some targets, you know, for the upcoming seasons. I one of my biggest is, ones is I want promotion. Um, I've had a couple of relegations, and I want to sort of sink them out of the way. So yeah, yeah, I want promotions. You know, um, I want to reach a certain amount of appearances as well before I retire. What's my number? Three fifty to four hundred. I want to reach appearance-wise, um, for the next sort of two to three years, I want to play at least 40 games in both seasons. Um, so it's more, you know, I'm 
28 now, so I feel like I have a few more years in me. I'd touch wood, I don't really get many injuries. Um, but but yeah, it's that it's that sort of promotion that I'm really hungry to to taste promotion, you know, to play at Wembley, which I've never done still. Um, or to even win a league, hundred percent. Why not? Why not? Because it's it's all nothing's impossible. Nothing is impossible. So so yeah, I mean, uh, made it this far. So why not that extra step? Why not? Why not? And there's been certainly been times in my career, Dave, where there's been things that we've done that other people would have said, would have laughed at and said, well, you know, you're just never going to do that. And then you go and achieve them. Everyone is a genius on the back end. Oh yeah, I could see that coming. I knew they were going to do that. It, it's this idea of having that belief again, like you said, in our industry, you have to have this belief when maybe nobody else does. You have to, yeah. you have to have that vision and insight when maybe you don't have a reaffirming evidence to suggest that, you know, a lot of other industries, medical fields, housing market, banking, perhaps it's all done on trends, the stock market, it's all done on evidence. You can see and maybe predict the future. You yeah. live in a world where you have to manifest the future and mm -hmm. there's no guarantees, you know? No, for sure. For sure. There's, there's, there's never really any guarantees, but yeah, it's about, it's just that, that belief aspect for me. That's, that's always been a big thing, you know, cause I've been, I've had moments in my career when, when I, couldn't really see the light, you know, I can only see the darkness. And I, I'd usually think to myself, oh, I don't think I'm getting out of this. And I always have that, you know, cause there's always been that resilience in me um, that I then had to learn how to sort of hone and harness that, that power. And, and now I've brought it out, it's at the forefront of my mind and I know how to use it when I need it. So yeah, so it's a strong skill. It's a good skill that I've obtained for sure, for sure. Just having a good mental and, and you know, there's, it's not, arrogance is, is confidence and there's also a fine line there but yeah I do see it in players I saw it in you when you were a younger player you mentioned the um, I'll never forget this example you mentioned the FA Cup youth game against Chelsea and I remember that was a huge team we played against Loftus-Cheek yeah. played for them um, yeah. I forget the striker's name who played as well but he went on and had a really good career played for Liverpool yeah um, I think it was Solanke Solanke, it was, Dominic Solanke, that's right, yeah. And at the time, I remember the talk around Ruben Loftus-Cheek was earning big money in the youth team, and it was, a, it was a huge moment in our time there. And I remember a cross-field ball coming across, you might remember, you might not, but I remember a cross-field ball coming across, you're at left-back, and it went over your head, and I remember afterwards talking to you about your positioning and perhaps this moment, and never once did it feel like you were beating yourself up or you were like, this is so unfair you were actually craving, yeah. I don't want that to happen to me again. I, I, want, I want to make sure that that never happens to me again. And I don't know if it has or hasn't. Like, any ball can go over everyone's head at any time. Yeah. But yeah. what you're saying twice. there, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but what, you, what you're saying there about that resolution and that belief, I saw that in you then as a young man. I saw that in, you talked earlier superbly about the process and your belief came from a position of, it's no good just believing. You can't just get up one day and believe I'm going to be a professional footballer. You committed at 23, 24 to the process. You started to read. You did all that stuff you said earlier. Even back then as a, as a youth player, you were committed to this ongoing professional development idea. And and that's probably had a, a, you know something to do with your level of being able to pick yourself up the floor and go and do this amazing thing that you've done. How, how would you help people to get to that moment? Because... No one, no one makes you do that. You have to get there on your own, I suppose. 
Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd always say in invest in yourself. I've I've always been a lover of education and and learning. Uh, coffee. So it was never a problem for me to to pull you or to pull another coach. Or there was never any shame in it. There was never any shame in it. And and you know you may have teammates who may look at you a certain way as a teacher's pet or or yeah this guy's really busy or whatnot but at the end of the day it's about you and it's about your career and and you being better can help your teammate and it will also help yourself so so just not not being a afraid to ask if you don't know you know whenever I'm unsure of something I I always ask because it's better knowing than not uh knowing I always find the the unknown pretty scary because then you don't know something so yeah yeah I'd, I'd always say just to just to ask a question if you don't know and, and 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 teach yourself learn you know just educate yourself as much as you can and i'll take you a long way dave i want to thank you for that you what you've just said there about rationalizing this idea of shame that's going to help so many people so many people live with this idea of shame after a mistake after a poor performance after whatever it might be you don't have to feel that shame shame is not the emotion acceptance responsibility learning all starts after shame ends and so many young people so many professional players i've come across they live in this space for too long and, and perhaps we've done that as coaches in the industry we've made them believe that i'm so thank you so much for just giving that discourse and telling people uh, you know from your mindset what you've said there. that's going to help a lot of people and and the, and the busy part i'm glad we've kind of left this alone a little bit and for anyone you know, listening who might be in an academy or in a youth setup, and for coaches listening as well, let's just do away with this busy idea. Let's yeah, do away yeah, with this nonsense. It's, it's not helpful. It's not helpful in any way, shape, or form. No, I, I remember, nonsense. yeah, it, one of one of the, I don't know, I was going to say this, but one of the great stories in my life. When I, <laughs> I was never as talented as you were, but you probably don't know this. Yeah. When I was fifteen, I got a trial for Cardiff City, right? And I, it was, it was one, I swear to God, it was a one day thing. I got no, no one talked to me. No one wanted me there. I went straight into the under 18s dressing room at 15, sat there with no one wanting me to be there and basically got left alone. Didn't know what to do, whatever. Training didn't even start for like two hours. So I went out onto, it was at Ninian Park. I went out to Ninian Park and I started running laps of Ninian Park, doing press ups and sit ups in the corners. Wow. I was so excited. I was there in my matching Adidas tracksuit. My, my dad had bought me. I was, I was like on trial at Cardiff. This was the moment. And I came back around from one lap after about 10 minutes. There's a group of like eight or nine of the youth team lads there just laughing and pointing. And, and they were saying, like, oh, look how busy he is. And they were making buzzy bee noises, all this kind of stuff. That, yeah. that cut me to the core, man. Like, because yeah. obviously it was stupid. Why was I running laps on my own in an empty minion park? But, but you do these <laughs> things. You do yeah. these things because yeah. it matters so much and you're so close to your dream, right? Anyway, let's do away with this idea of busy. and Because some people, you know, you do it out of nerves. You do it out of just not knowing how to behave. And I just hate the idea that there's a young kid out there under 14s now in an academy who's being told he's busy because he's, going to ask a question or wants to see video yeah. or he's doing extra training let's do away with that isn't it do you agree yeah for sure for sure 100 percent. i mean how someone trying to better themselves can be mocked is is insane in its own right um but yeah i've i've, I've seen it a lot you know i've seen it a lot throughout clubs that i've been at and and there's been players that 
that have been out on the pitch and they've been doing their extras and they've been called busy because they're trying to improve. But then you wouldn't call Ronaldo busy, would you? You wouldn't call Messi busy, would you, for doing extras? So how dare you? I completely agree with you. Let's be done with it because it's, it's, it's not right at all. I don't like it. And I'll tell you something else, mate. For anybody who's experienced that like I did, I was 15 at that time. At 26, uh, Cardiff City called me back and asked me to be the under-18s coach, the same team that I trialled with. So that was, what, nine years later? So that was a special moment for me as well, right? And the only reason I say that is because that isn't the defining moment of your life when that those kinds yeah. of things happen to you. And you have to get up and you have to go again. And signing that contract that day with Neil Arby there, I did yeah. think about that. And that's sometimes the fuel you 100%. need, isn't it? Sometimes. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant, Goffey. I like that story. Fantastic. I, I always remember that. Um, yeah. Dave, I I felt like this was a, a really special one for me. I'm so proud of the of the the man you've become, the player you've become, and obviously played a small part in your development. So this was always going to be a special one for me. I, I really wanted to do this justice. I really wanted to make sure we gave everybody a window into the world of what it's like to be a professional and the way yeah. you've spoken and the, and the grace you've given the insight you've given. I fundamentally believe there'll be young players out there should listen to this, will listen to this and they can take a little bit of time to, to really prepare their journey, at least the bits they can control anyway. And I'm glad the industry is getting better. I'm glad we're moving towards a scenario where people are treating players a bit more like human beings. We had Jody Taylor on, a recent episode, Jody's obviously done fantastic things in the women's game and, and, and won the Champions League and won medals at the World Cup and wow. everything. And she was saying the same thing. She was saying, she, as elite players, you just want to be treated with respect. You want to be treated with honesty. And, and look, you're going to get tough information. You're going to get dropped. You're going to get contract negotiations. But you ultimately just want to be treated like a human being. And, and I'm yeah. glad we're moving towards that. But it's still sad in 2023 that we've got elite players like you and Jody on who are still kind of saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 100%. It's a, it's a tough journey as it is. Um, you know, and I want to give a little piece on, on, on the players that, that are at academies at 16 and they've been there for ages and then they get released and they don't get their scholarships or they don't get their pros. It's, it's never over. You know, the, the amount of players that I've seen that have left um, smaller clubs and sign for bigger clubs after getting released. It's all about having that mentality and and just believing in yourself. But on the on the sort of people side of it, yeah, you know, as a as a footballer, you know, you just it's it's not easy, um, <clears throat> and you know, you 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 have to deal with people at times who who don't treat you in the right ways for sure. Um, but then, you know, I've always had the, where we're about to, to sort of understand what, what the, what the institution is and, and, you know, how, how politics can also influence um, football clubs. Cause I've been involved in, in a few clubs that, that haven't been run in the, in the best manner, uh, but I feel like it's down to you as a as a person to to sort of deal with that how you can as well. 
Great message again, Dave. You've done so much today already to, to, to help the next generation of players coming through. But what you're really saying there is, you know, if you are released, if you are given a setback at a young age, even if you are, you know, in, in a tough spot, it isn't over, you're saying. And, and you can, you should continue to go for your dream. And yes, of course, there's elements in your life where you might have to pick up your education and make sure you've got that background for a while. But you shouldn't give up on the idea that, yeah. and we said it earlier, didn't we? someone might say they don't think you're good enough, but you're just not good enough for that room. It doesn't mean you won't yeah. be good enough for a room down the road or somewhere else, or even potentially, as you and I have both done, moved countries and, and, and applied our trade yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. You know, you should continue to follow that dream is what you're saying. 100%. 100%. Dave, perhaps one last piece as we sign off here. I want to talk about, there's a very special place in my heart from my earlier days in the non-league, you know, fantastic clubs in Wales like Merthyr Town and, and even yeah. over the border. I was at Clevedon for a little while and shout out to both of those clubs, proper non-league clubs yeah. who have unbelievable fans following them everywhere, whether it's 15 in a couple of cars or 200 in buses or whatever it might be. They live the life week in, week out you know, big FA Cup first round ties, whatever it might be, the real pyramid of football, right? Yeah. With the fan side of it, yeah, what is, it must be amazing to be there, be on yeah. your game, have the fans shouting your name. Like, it, yeah, it can be tough, I suppose, on the other side, but talk to us about the positive side. What's it like when the fans, you know, get after you and support you and, and have you got your own song? Has anybody made up a song in your career about you and stuff like that? Talk to us about the fans a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, as we know, fans are such an integral part, like, they play such an integral part in the game. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's there's no sort of feeling that you can compare it to. Um, uh, literally, I kid you not, I kid you not, Goffy. I think there was, my my first, first team experience was at Newport County. And I remember, you know, even the first time they chanted my name, it was just sort of like, I remember I had my dad in the crowd and it was a proud moment for him. It was my debut against Wickham away. And um, and it was a proud moment for him. But I remember hearing it at that age, 18, 19, and, and the game was going on and I kind of froze. And I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> like, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> nowadays, it's, it's more of, I'm more zoned in and tuned into games. I don't hear as much. Yeah. Um, but then when you're younger, you're, 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 you're less tuned in, you're more aware of everything else. Um, yeah. And I remember I had that vivid memory of, of, of just hearing them chant my name and, and I sort of got shivers down my spine and I was like, yeah. wow, like, that's amazing. And then moving on to other clubs, I think Gillingham was quite amazing. Um, they had a little song for me. I think they actually brought out like a little, um, mixtape, I think it was for me and all, um, <laughs> which is quite cool, which is actually pretty cool. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, fans are fans are incredible, you know. There's there's some that deserve um real credit, you know. They they travel yeah. up and down the country, you know, yeah. they they travel to other countries, um, on cold Tuesday nights, and, and it's 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 amazing to have that support. And I always appreciate fans. I, I understand when they when they have criticism at times, you know, because because a lot of them give 
their their life, you know, to support a football club. So, you know, they're entitled to an opinion. Um and and that's just, you know, down to you as a player not to not to to take it for what it is, you know, frustration mm. rather than a hatred or whatever it may be. But um yeah. but yeah, no, fans are amazing and, and I think football would never be the same without them, that's for sure. Well, it wasn't, was it, when when the pandemic hit and we had empty stadiums and it just wasn't the same. And it, it goes to show you can have Premier League football, multi-million pound players and managers and everything else and no people in the stadium. And it's just not the same. It's not the same game. And I think all over the world, I've been very fortunate in North America to see, you know, some of the upcoming leagues. The USL here is getting bigger. The MLS, the expansion of the MLS in the last 10 years has been phenomenal. You know, it, the, the stardom and fandom around Messi coming to into Miami right now. I'm living here in Florida. Yeah. It's everywhere. You can't go anywhere without seeing some of it. And and you know, America, Canada, perhaps some other places. They don't have the 200 year history or 150 year history that we do in Britain. And it's a different kind of support there because of that tradition. But yeah. fandom all around this game, all around the world, is such an important part. And I and I know that the fans at non-league level, because you can hear them most of the time, because oh, yeah. you know, maybe there's only four or 500 in the ground. In the yeah. ground, But I know that fans have an impact on players and results. And to hear you say, you know, the shiver up your spine when they call your name for the first time, that's the moment that yeah. I want every young aspiring player to, to fixate on. And when it is hard and when you don't see the end, that's an intangible way of motivating yourself and I want that moment I'm going to get that yeah. moment and yeah. and to even just see you light up mate as you talk about it you know yeah. is, is just great it's just fantastic because that is the dream isn't it it is still a dream a young boy's dream to play in front of people play this game 100%. score a goal it is still a dream isn't it 100% you know I've been I've been a pro now for 10-11 years and, and, and you know there's still moments that have happened in recent years that still catch me off guard till this day um, and yeah, I mean, so I had a game at, at Wolves last year, Wolves away, and just the atmosphere in the stadium, you know, it caught me off guard, and I was just like, wow, this is an amazing ground, and their fans and our fans, and it was just, it was just an incredible experience altogether. Yeah, honestly, electricity. I don't know. There's many other professions where you dedicate your life to. I, th- I always think about the surgeons, the medical field. You know the the teachers, the wonderful people. I always think about them as you know they they do their thing, but no one's really watching, no one's really influencing. They always do it in isolation. Yeah. They can't be anything more isolated than a surgical room when someone's doing a really important, you know, professional job on on a human being. And then here you are, a dedicated yeah. professional with forty thousand people or whatever screaming, and you know, home fans, away fans, biases, and you've got to perform yeah. to the same level of professionalism and block yeah. all that out and. It must be a really, um, a really tough thing to do, but a really rewarding thing to do as well. When you the ball hits the net or you win a game, it must be a really special moment to go and see the fans after. Oh yeah, yeah, massively. I mean, I've it's it's um it's weird because I've I've played in front of sort of forty thousand at Ipswich away and at Sunderland away and and at amazing grounds, but but the loudest I've ever had it. I was playing for Barnet in a home mm. game at the Hive and. We played in the FA Cup against Brentford and uh, and we drew 3-3. And I think it's the first time in my career I haven't been able to hear a teammate that's about two metres away from me. And I looked around me at that moment. I said, wow, this is incredible. But yeah, yeah, just overall fans, 
I mean, obviously during COVID, it was a difficult time for a lot of people. Um, but when football resumed, it wasn't the same. It was nowhere near the same. Nowhere near the same. There was no atmosphere. It felt like training games most of the time. But yeah, fans just make a world of difference. A world of difference. And this game that provides so much to so many, you know, obviously huge influence in your life, in my life, in other people in the game. You know, we love it. Of course we do. But it provides so much to so many. And to hear a professional player talking in those terms is gonna it's gonna warm a lot of people's hearts in terms of it isn't just a job and it does mean more and you've dedicated your entire life to this. And and again, Dave, I can't say enough how the you know the man you've become, the the time you have to give to other people, the fact that you're doing this here today with us just to help, you know, anybody listening, I really can't thank you enough. It's been an absolutely fantastic episode, full of insight, full of support. I'm just really glad we did this, my friend. I am. No, uh, absolutely. Likewise. Likewise, Goffy. It's been amazing to speak to you again and to see you, actually, because it's been a while. Um, You know, you're obviously someone that's helped me massively in my journey. I don't even think you understand how much you've helped me in my journey. So, so, you know, I would always have time for you. That's for sure, yeah. Well, thank you, mate. That's why we do it. That's why the army of coaches out there do what they do. And uh, we just hope that we leave it in a better place than what we found it. And I'm glad to play my small part, mate. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. We're wishing you all the best, Dave. And we can't, you've got a, I know you've got a few thousand more fans who are wishing you on for that promotion and that day you do play at Wembley. And, you know, perhaps we'll get you on just before that time when it happens again. And you can tell us about what it's like to prepare for a game at Wembley. And we'll be supporting from the wings for sure. And uh, delighted to see what you do for the remainder of your playing career, mate, and I'm wishing you all the best for the transition, obviously, after as well. Thank you so much for coming and being on the Pro Player Podcast. You've absolutely raised the game here for us, and uh, and and certainly from a professional player's point of view, you've put, you put it in a, another stratosphere, so thank you, man. Thank you, Goffin. Thank you, mate. I've really enjoyed uh, being on, and to anyone listening, thank you as well.